0: Hello, are we on the air yet? Welcome to the Core Performance Podcast, taking you one step closer to self-mastery on and off the course. Fire up that growth mindset, and let's dive into the core of elite golf and human performance. Now, here's your hosts, Ian Highfield and Andrew Losey.
1: hello core performance podcast listeners welcome to the show I am your host Ian Highfield and today three in a row I'm joined by uh, Andrew Losi and today's guest um, I really I don't know if I can do the introduction justice this is this is my guy this is my guy in the world of golf uh, and the world of human performance um, if you want to listen, to one of the best, if not the best, golf coach in the world speak, then this is the podcast for you. Uh, I'm joined by Stuart Morgan, who I met at IJGA, uh, which was a golf academy in Hilton Head that myself and Stu worked at together. Uh, And I quickly uh, found out that, oh my goodness, here's someone that outworks me, outreads me, uh, knows more than me, uh, I, I got to up my game. So I was already working pretty hard. I was reading research. I was very motivated. But Stu was on a different stratosphere, uh, and he has continued to be that way. Uh, his obsession uh, to achieve excellence at his craft is phenomenal, uh, and it's, some, it's an example that we should all look up to. Uh, since I met Stu uh, at IJGA, Uh, He has moved on and he became uh, head of performance for various PGA's across the world. Uh, And he is also an elite level tour coach. Uh, He's regularly out on the PGA PGA tour. He's regularly out on the European tour. He was at the Ryder Cup coaching last year. Uh, And when he's not doing that, he's being an awesome friend, an awesome husband, An awesome dad and he is probably uh, also got his head buried in a study or a book somewhere uh, fueling his obsession to be better. So this is a great podcast to hear. If you want to be a high performing golfer and a high performing human, some of the words of wisdom from Stu in this podcast can no doubt contribute to that mission. Enjoy. Just before I press play, uh, again, this podcast, much like Julian's, comes with a little warning. uh, When Stu gets fired up about one of his players uh, playing in the Ryder Cup and uh, relays conversations he had with this player, uh, he uses some choice language. So, again, uh, apologies for the swearing, uh, but we've left it in there for the uh, authenticity uh, of the podcast. So, apologies. Hope you don't mind uh enjoy
2: kind of relatively just hit the record Uh, button (laughs) (laughs) just hit the record Um,
1: button at the right time
2: but it it, it is not any different than the stuff i've spoken to you about about like my my view on golf being um, a game-based concept rather than um biomechanics is an engineering concept right so but we're not engineers. We have like twenty-nine potential degrees of freedom movements in in a golf swing. That's without the muscles, right? That's just the joint activation. Yeah. So, so how so how how can you how can you engineer that?
1: Do do do? Is, have you seen there's some videos on YouTube by? Uh, it's a golf coach, but he's also got a PhD. R- Russell, Doctor. Oh yeah, Noel
2: Russell. No, yeah, Noel I know, Russell.
1: I know is, Noel. Yeah. His videos are good, aren't they? Like, yeah, I, very good, very I, switched on. Yeah, I send his videos to the kids that I coach. So I was having yeah. a, a a friendly debate with a kid last night, and he was like, "Yeah, I shot twelve over. There's no way I lose twelve over just because of my attitude. It has to be mechanical." And I'm like, "Okay, we go down this like rabbit hole, and he's just it's just not what he's saying is just not accurate." Um, and he wants. He says, so I think my practice, I have to go and just hit balls and just grind in a, a one-shot shape. And I'm like, okay, where are you going to hit balls? I just keep asking question after question after question. In the end, I send him a video on perception action coupling and how we have to be connected to, to the environment. And I send him two of uh, Noel's videos on degrees of freedom. He messages me back and he's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I'm in. Like he completely changes his concept from uh, our, I don't know, about seven, eight minutes of YouTube. So there's some there's some good stuff. I'll have to, I'll have to try and I'll see if he'll come on the show.
2: And he's maybe... a good guy, actually. He's a, he was part of um when I lived over there, he was kind of involved somewhere along the line in our county setup. Okay. Like the the um called BB and O. So we're like Tyrrells from, like Eddie Pepperell and and whatnot. So does he does he have
1: success implementing his stuff, or is there any any pushback?
2: I don't know. I really don't know. Yeah, I'll have to. I'll, um, I'll, I'll reach out. To and, and I and I generally don't know what, like what clientele he's involved in. Right, I don't. I don't know if it's like, yeah, club or or what. He
1: he just, reminds me a little bit of Rob Gray, but a golf coach version of Rob Gray says the same from the perception action not not as uh deep in the academia but a lot of the way that he presents his concepts pretty articulate and 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 good with it Um, he's
2: quite he's but he's very he's very kind of connected to like the information processing plus the ecological like environments right so there's too much like fight going on at the moment between well no you can't be one or the other but the way I see it is that you're building up, you know, a knowledge base that you can go whatever that person in front of you kind of needs to help them play better golf. You have something to to offer them, right?
1: Yeah, I I agree, Stu. So what we're gonna do is I'm just gonna roll in into the podcast. So the podcast yeah. recording
2: has already started
1: because <laughs> uh, I, I I like the way that we just sort of organically uh, rolled into it. If you can introduce yourself and then like i said i want to talk a little bit first about your time at at ijga and what you noticed regarding the junior golf academy uh and what you tried to then implement there and and how it was received
2: yeah so um thanks for having me on guys um it's always a always a pleasure you know chatting and and whatnot and it does feel like a chat sometimes um so I have to be careful what I say. No, no, no. You can uh, roll. We're good. <laughs> we're good. We
1: I um, had Julian Perico on. He dropped he dropped the F one, So we're over that now. We <laughs> we we are
2: over that one. So my name's Stuart Morgan. I kind of work in I would say in the elite space. Um have three relatively good clients on playing on the European Tour, PGA Tour. Um, and my role with them is really performance based so how can i how can i influence training and whatnot with with all the information i gather to actually change behaviors and help them shoot kind of lower scores and that's kind of part of my job and then i also i'm a performance director for swiss golf that help kind of aspiring um golfers who come into the system and want to turn pro and we give them sort of like five years to, to get to that, to that level and just sort of like help them along the journey as well. So that's, those are my two primary jobs other than being a dad, a wife, a husband that I'm hopefully a good one. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, just looking after my family basically. And,
1: and prior to that Stu, we met, uh, at a golf academy. I, I was actually familiar with um, some of your work before you came out. Um, myself and Stephen Chalmers, we used to talk about some of the stuff you were doing before I actually met you at, at IJGA. Um, but you you turn up at IJGA. How many junior golfers were there at the time? 60-ish, 70-ish? More,
2: I think, eight, like, yeah, close to 70. Well, actually, it was 80, and then they offered 20 of them to go to bishop's gate down in to to balance out the the numbers because yeah. it was i think it was only 40 at bishop's gate and like 80 at ijga and it's the same owner so he then said well to balance out things let's get see if we can get 20 to go down there and um that's kind of how it works so yeah i think we had like 60 65 in my like first year
1: so you know i'm i'm in, still in my first year an academy with around about 75 kids so I'm remembering joining you and and it becoming sort of our journey there I'm thinking back to that I'm now in the position you were in
2: yeah
1: um what were your when you when you got there what were your first observations of the of junior golf what did you think was the 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 most necessary changes how did you go about that let's just talk through all the things that you implemented and and why and then Andrew who's been kind of in a different role he's worked with one junior for the last 18 months been a private coach he he can obviously
2: jump in and ask some good questions. You worked with Mr well. Poulter didn't you
0: Mr Poulter yep and uh working with his son primarily uh and, and I, chatted him, I chatted to him I chatted to him
2: quite a bit at the Ryder Cup
0: Actually, well, so yeah uh,
2: he and he was um actually Polt's son he and he was about to go to I think the gators at like Florida yeah, like, he's uh, going about, to Florida he's a Florida, yeah, yeah so uh,
0: this coming august he's he's starting okay, okay, so
2: I passed so yeah. Andrew from him, yeah <laughs> <laughs> one zero to me <laughs> I think I, you know I think when i when I arrived there i I didn't really know what to expect to be honest, like obviously I'd been to see the facilities and everything and every, you know, and it was great and and whatnot but it was very much um, I just kind of like took my time that first year figuring out like what what's going on and my you know Ian knows how I am if I get involved in something I get relatively obsessive about it and I want to know everything that I possibly can about you know about junior development and uh, you know that particular time and Um, and that had been going on like a long time prior. And I I think that the things that kind of jumped out at me was I didn't really see any, I saw a lot of teaching. I didn't see a lot of coaching going on. Um, the biggest thing for me was, I think it was like out of five days of training per week they were on the golf course once when I arrived there wow. and I'm, and I'm like, this is just utter madness to me. Like I, it didn't, it didn't kind of comprehend with where, you know, what I've been doing, seeing, reading. Um, so we kind of changed that a, a little bit and yeah, just understanding a little bit about how, or getting them to help, help the students understand how they use their time right and and i i've got kind of more into that as well where you know i i asked a I asked a group of of collegiate athletes in switzerland how much do you practice like during the week and whatnot in in college and they were like give me a number and i said so how do you know what you're doing in that week is helping what you do and they had no clue like they just didn't know like there was nothing to say like how and that's the that's the feeling I got IJJ as well when I arrived there it was like okay you turn up there you know either morning or afternoon and then school kind of flips over and you kind of get there and it's like yeah you know we'll kind of like work on your swing and and do this and then you see six players and off you go. And I'm like, and then the next day happened, it's like the same thing happened again. I'm like, this is just not right. You know, we, we need to get them to become better players and understand the play aspect and see how the rest evolved. And that kind of then changed into, um, we got away from actually setting the range up perfectly for them. So you know, they had to come up with their own sort of like um, practice stations and and whatnot. You know, in line with the the information, the research that I'd kind of had. Did they like it? No, but I think there was there was bigger teachings than just setting up the range and setting up their own stations. There was a level of um, cognitive element of like thinking about what they're going to do, because that's life as well. You know. That's like being able to go into after the school and going right, what do I need to do to accomplish this? And how, how am I going to do it? Um, Stu, do you, do you think they didn't like change or do you think
1: they didn't like the cognitive element and actually having to use their brain and, and not having everything done for them? Or
2: I think there might've been a combination of both. You know, I think that, it's lovely turning up to somewhere where everything's set up perfect for you and, and whatnot, and you just have a, you know, lovely range, everything done and pyramids of golf ball lined up and, and whatnot. And you just go there and you shell 300 balls and you go to school, you know, it's like, <laughs> but, but you kind of then question like how much is, how much learning or development is actually going on in that window. Um so, that, so I think, yeah, the you know, I think both. To be honest, I think that was the. And, and you know, it's. Everyone keeps saying, "Oh, you know, well, there's, you know, they pay an X amount to go there." Well, I'm like, so, like, yeah. so what? That doesn't that doesn't make it, you know, it doesn't make it right that you should set up everything for them because not everything is set up for you in, in anything you do. So what, so why should we do that for them just because they're paying a lot of money to go to school?
0: Stuart, if I can ask real quick, what did you do with the pyramids of golf balls? Because one of the things um, that I learned as a young coach was to control the lesson, you have to control the golf balls and to control the learning, you control the golf balls. You, you know, I, you know, even so far as stepping you know, in front of the golf ball or kicking the golf ball away from the students. So that way they have to think about what they're doing. So what did you do with, you know, at, at the IJGA to, to control the golf balls and, and get that changed to happen within the students, you know, mind?
2: We didn't have the pyramids. Like we had no bases of pyramids there. We, li- we literally had garbage cans full of golf balls that the player would have to come Grab the golf balls and set them up in what, based on what they were going to do for that day, and and that that's how we managed it basically. Yeah.
1: Can we, exp- sorry, Andrew Stu, can you expand a little bit on the magic five? Because I think that sort of answers that question. And I stole this off you at core. Um, next next year when we get outside and. In- April time, uh, we're going to have no buckets. So what we have is we have a big wheelbarrow full of balls and the kids go with their buckets, scoop buckets, tip them out on their mat and they hit. Next year, no buckets. The wheelbarrow stays. You collect five balls at a time. That's yeah. how we're, the, the kids are going to go. If we don't do a good job as coaches, helping them understand why we're doing this and why this is so important to their development, they are going to lose their minds. <laughs> so talk a little yeah. bit about the magic five and maybe I can share this with the parents and the, the kids at, at core. Um, maybe you can do our dirty work for us, Stu. Off, off you go.
2: <laughs> so it's basically to do with the, um, the concentration science of, um, and it came from like different sports as well. And what kind of what they kind of figured with the concentration element of like being just engaged in a task of what you're doing is that you know let's say you start off with ball one and everybody's like enthusiastic, totally engaged in what they're doing, you know hundred percent this is the intent of what the shot I'm hitting or whatever it might be, and as they got to like number five, it was like, all right, so five we're we're there, you know we're still at kind of like seventy five percent. 65 percent something like that so we're still in an area which is okay and then when it got to like ball six it like dropped off to like 33 percent it was like almost like not even worth hitting that sixth ball and I've even spoken to Tim Lee who's a very you know well-renowned motor control motor learning expert and he says the same thing right he says between four and six balls that people have the capacity to to really engage before they need to to kind of like take a break or, or kind of do something else. And, and what we kind of found with when we, you know, when we do this is people look at it and go, oh, that's nowhere near enough shots there, like nowhere near. But if they concentrate and they're engaged cognitively in every shot they're hitting, if they did five sets of five or six sets of five and they're fully engaged in every shot, they never waste the ball – they're going to feel that not physically, but mentally that they've engaged in, in actually what they're doing. So that to me, then if you then start to kind of connect the learning sciences to that, based on what they're doing and what they're trying to achieve, then you have an absolute, like a, a, just an unbelievable learning environment. I
1: love it. So um, Stu, for- Keep rolling on. What else did you, you implement? So you changed sort of the got rid of the idea of doing everything for the kids and this level of uh, brand standards and stuff like that on the range. Kids started to set up their own practice, use the magic five. Uh, what else did you implement that that you believe was was vital uh, for junior development? Not, not only in line with what you saw, but, you know, it's always cool to cite some of the research. So we know the underpinning reasons
2: for this. So that, yeah, I mean we we got them to play a little bit more, so but it wasn't just playing, it was like okay, well what behavior are we going to challenge? What what performance metric are we going to challenge within a task on the golf course? So it wasn't just like going, oh yeah, we go and play like nine holes and we just play. There was always elements of like we'll take that side out, that that fairway's OB there or get to a score for this or you know, whatever it might be. So again, it started to get them engaged in understanding how to get the golf ball around the golf course based on what their needs were. And, you know, I mean, like a lot of that came from, you know, understanding, even to the point of if you, like even to now, I think that if somebody wants to improve on their mechanics of what they're doing, then why not use the golf course to do that right and actually go out there and throw a load of balls down if you have that opportunity to do that and use the environment because it's very contextual and actually say okay i'm going to work on my um on my golf swing to do this but what i'm actually doing is i'm getting feedback on varying lies varying distances and and so on and so forth so it's a very kind of rich environment um, to be in and a very challenging environment to be in. About five years ago now, I can't believe that. Like when I first arrived there, like it's
1: Is that what it was? Is that what yeah,
2: it Yeah, it'll be five years. Yeah, nearly five years. So.
1: And then, and how long have you been away from? How long, have, how long ago did you leave IJJ? Two years? No, I was, there for,
2: I was there for two years. I've been back here. And, just over four now. Okay, it's actually probably yeah coming on six coming years on the right?
1: Yeah, because it's about nine for me yeah. being out of the UK, and I was obviously in Florida before you were. You were in Hilton Head. Yeah. So, how did the kids respond? And I know the answer to this question because I was there. I watched it. What you know? I think there's a big difference between the initial response to this shift and then. Nine months down the line, when the terms finishing, seeing some of these kids' behaviors shift was was very impressive. So, can you elaborate on sort of what what you saw through your eyes?
2: I, I mean, I think it would have been easy to start with to go to regress, right? If you weren't, if you weren't so, if I wasn't so sure that this was the right thing to do, and you know, I think you're never hundred percent sure, but you kind of like, you, you know. If you have enough information behind you and you kind of enough experience behind you, you say, "Okay, this is this is the right thing to do here." Then I I remember absolutely one situation, right? And I'll share it with you, and and I'm sure she'll be happy for me to to say it because I still speak to her, and she's gone on to to you know almost like. She plays at Kansas and, and whatnot, and there's a girl called Sarah at the and she when I arrived there, like, her attitude was terrible. Like, she just thought she was the, you, know, the, the best player in the academy, which she kind of was, right? But she had a coach that was very enabling of like these behaviors of like, like for me, like spoiled behaviors, not holding her accountable for, for certain things, and that's just not me at all. So we had this thing called the Academy Cup, right? Where we played, uh, uh, you know, against other academies down in Florida. And there was, and I didn't really know the players at that time, but I'd see, I hadn't seen them play, but I'd seen the behaviors around training. And she was one of the best players, no question, but her attitude was terrible, so I didn't pick her, right? So everything has just gone like mental. Like everybody, the coach has gone mental um her parents have gone mental and whatnot and i we just got on a call and i said well here's the reality and i just laid it out and said it's nothing to do with your daughter i haven't been here long enough to form an opinion on her right i all i'm seeing is the behavior she is exhibiting she was an early committee to um, UCF And I said to them, if at that time, if she keeps doing what she's doing, they will pull that away from her. And that went on to, you know, TOEFL and and everything. They thought I was bonkers. What happened? We've gone down the line. UCF pulled the scholarship because she wasn't performing. She wasn't, she didn't get a TOEFL score that was required. She was in an absolute mess. So all of a sudden then you have this, you know, as Dave Collins would say, you have, you know, the rocky road to the top. You need little speed bumps along the way. And this was a proper speed bump for her. And she'd never experienced this. So we sat down. I said to her what I what I thought, where I where I felt that she needed to be. And she did, she changed completely. You know, and all of a sudden she goes. Okay, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna recommit to what I'm doing. I'm gonna show like, you know, really kind of put the effort in golf wise, academically, everything. Then she went, she she decided she's gonna go to Kansas, but she went to Kansas and I think she was a walk on, right? In her first year. But because of the work that we had done with you know, understanding that it's, it's to do with the effort and the attitude that she puts in. It's not, the rest will take care of itself. Second year, she gets like scholarship and whatnot. And she goes on. She's played, um, I think she played US, uh, uh, she played Am, US, Am. US Am, didn't she? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And even to the point where she's like messaged me like numerous occasions said, if you hadn't have done that to me, I don't know where I would be at this time and it wasn't like i felt i was like doing something like i just felt like i was doing the right thing which was really hard for her at that time but i kind of had a vision of where it was going to take her at, at the same time because if i had just let that behavior go like i don't know where she she i don't know where she'd be now to be honest
1: yeah i think that's what makes what we do one of the the best jobs in the world you can have like a real uh, impact uh, on these on these young children's lives, Stu, d- does she continue to exhibit those behaviours at college? Like when she practices, is she practicing somewhat in line with your philosophy? Because I've seen a few kids from the IJGA years that we were there that resisted this in its infancy. By the end of the year, they were literally habitually doing the Magic Five, they were building their own challenges on the golf course, they were doing proximity challenges on the golf course, writing detailed notes, very good reflection, they had great habits and behaviours and then they went to college and those habits and behaviours re- regressed because the environment in college pulled them back towards sort of just, as you put it earlier, shelling 300 balls, so where, where is she right now, is she sort of stayed in in the in the mold of practice where it looks real it feels real as as you would put it
2: i don't know i don't i don't know that's the honest truth I, but um, i think it was more than that with her i think it was more the um you know not i think it was more the fact of going these are the behaviors i've exhibited and they're not okay Right, and you know, I see. Like, I know, I know a player at Kansas now who's gone there from Austria, and Sarah's reached out. She said, "Yeah, she's still there," and she's like, you know, she's still one of the the bubbliest characters on the team, and you know, so she's becoming more of a a transformational character than yeah, somebody yeah. who is, you know, would have would have just been if she'd have gone there as when I first met her. He'd just been too much of a prima donna, basically. And like, and yeah, so I don't know, but, you know, I think if we, if we talk about like Sapdak, for example, like he was, oh,
1: wow. Yeah. What a kid.
2: You know, to start with, he's like, what, what is going on here? You know, blah, 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 like quite a quiet kid, but um, never one you'd say, I picked him. Like there was something in him. I picked him for the, the, the first Academy Cup, and we got done. And he played the second one as well. Are you quite diligent with what he was doing, and and so on and so forth. And he still does that. He got he gets his Canadian PGA tour card right out of yeah, unbelievable out of college. Like just, I mean, first time, first yeah, time first round. time.
1: No, no real scholarship. I remember sitting with him in the IJGA locker room, and he said, "I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I've done everything that that you guys have asked, and like." ultimately still no colleges really want me and he goes to Sacred Heart which is a yeah. Connecticut area it's not it. yeah yeah not the biggest program and then you see all these guys that went to maybe Auburn, Oklahoma, Alabama wherever big programs and satex up there top five PJ Tour yeah. Canada card just just awesome but again, down to behaviors and, and daily habits, not necessarily down to, to skill level.
2: No. And um yeah. Stu, to,
1: to change gears a little bit, you you move you mm. you you parted ways with IJGA and then you went to be um performance director. Um what have you implemented as performance director? Because you're talking about a different age of player now and a different level of player. So can you talk about some of the things in your role as performance director, helping these young people sort of strive towards their their goals and dreams as professional golfers? Uh, what what, yeah. what does that what does that involve?
2: So we had two two bits of it really. It was like more to start with very much like guidance on like decision making and conversations and and so on and so forth. Now it's a little bit more about you know accountability for the funding that you get in the sense of like, well, okay, what are you going to, why do you need this? You know, so putting some real against some context behind um, why they're doing what they're doing and getting to ask better questions um, of themselves, definitely understanding, you know, what, what are we doing when we train? And it, and it comes down to that same point of, okay, if I have X amount of hours, you know, or, or five hours in a day to, to train, well, how, how do I know that that's being effective, you know, and and linked to my goals? And if I don't know that, then to me, it just, you know, it people tend to go and do what they want to do. And they do things that they like to do rather than necessarily things that that is going to make them a better golfer and yeah. And just bring in some experience I have now from like tour and, and stuff and, and just trying to help them kind of grow, to be honest. Can we, can we look a little bit, Stu,
1: when, when I met you, you, a lot of the reading you were doing, I, I was also doing, so constraints led learning teaching games for understanding but you were the first person that really sort of turned my attention to the bio psycho social research, yeah. And I know you're very well read and and somewhat now qualified in in that area with the the courses you're doing and the mentorships that that you've been on. Can you talk a little bit about that? It's like an initial screening process or questionnaire, and how important that is. You know the development of 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 the human side and the environments they've been exposed to uh, regarding elite performance yeah so again
2: it's you know it's changed and it's ever evolving so to start with it was just kind of like chatting with understanding like where where the players come from, what's their family like you know and and appreciating that there's a psychosocial element of of performance as well you know that and that was just going off some of the initial research on the biopsychosocial um, standpoint. Now, you know, I have two questionnaires that I'd probably give to somebody. Um, one's a PCDQ, um, which gives us so PCDs are psychological characteristics of excellence, and we have trainable behaviors within that, but we have these factors that come out from the questionnaire. So, really, fear of failure clinical indicators um um, adverse response to failure seeking and using social support then we have um perfectionism then we have self so basically self-directed learning and then um uh, visualization basically so image imagery and active preparation so what we can do when we kind of see this and we get the information from them we then start to have a conversation and go in Well, what what are the kind of the two key things here? Well, high performers, low fear of failure, high active um, coping skills. Great. Well, how can we influence that, right? If somebody has high fear of failure, somebody has high clinical indicators, I'm getting on the phone to somebody and saying, this is out of my league. I don't understand. This is not what it's about. You need to go and speak to somebody. Um, So there's that. And I've also just started using the it's actually on Jordan Peterson's website to do with the big five personality traits and understanding how that links into into the person and being able to know what you can do with them and and so on and so forth. So I'll give you an example is a a lady in Switzerland who is very, very um, low in adverse response to failure. Right. So she's low in fear of failure. So what that does, when I, when I and she's very, very strong on coping skills. So then I go to her, do you get bored in practice? Yes. Do you get bored in tournaments? No. She wins an L, like an LET access event. She's finished like third in a ladies' European tour event. Why? Because the stimulation is right for her. So the coaching team then have to get the stimulation right for her in the training environment to challenge her and stretch her because she has the skills to deal with that. If somebody is, has low coping skills, you need to man- you know, you need to manage it. You can't just be loading on all the time because they can't deal with it. So you've got to build them up. Whereas she is like really kind of, she needs this stimulation and training this motivation. And this, you know, this, this cognitive hot, like this hot cognition. So we, I'm like onto a coach all the time. Load it on her, just like yeah. stretcher, stretcher, stretch her, stretch her. And every time she's like, Oh, yeah, I really enjoy this. I get motivated by it. We don't need to do it for long periods of time, just really, really high intensity over a short period. Brilliant. And then from that, you kind of start to build this sort of like profile of this of the player. Some things that have come of it, like um, somebody who is very let's say, linear in nature, not very abstract, right? So to ask somebody who's, non-abst- who's not very abstract to do high levels of visualization just isn't going to work. So, their, so their, 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 their driver is much more, you know, it might not be hitting like different flights, like Tiger-esque into a, into a green. It might be much more about one-shot you know strategy around that because that's how they see the game basically so so that's where things have evolved for me um you know and, and having the opportunity to look into these things to know that individual just that little bit better and support them a little bit better as well
0: Stuart, uh how often are you testing uh, you know, giving these little uh, you know questionnaires out to your your players and your students because obviously you know there's a lot of growth mentally and physically and and everything uh, in a in a young person's life from the age that they're you know eight all the way up until they're 18. Um, so so how often are you you know checking up on those things to see if they're evolving?
2: So from a from an ethical standpoint, I can't give this questionnaire out to anybody who's under 15. For starters, they are in the process of doing uh, a younger age one for, like, junior athletes, but for, like, people who are 15, 16, 17, you know, and beyond, I'll give it them maybe between four and six months once because, you know, to, inf- to influence a behavior, right, takes time, and you can't just keep, like, you know – Checking and checking and checking, you know. And actually, after you've done it, the first thing all you start, all I'm really seeing is what's changed, if anything. Okay, if it hasn't changed, why is it not changed? Has anything shown up which is really abnormal that we need to kind of like ask a question of, and then just kind of let it run, you know? It's not, but but to me, it's more about. It's the same as watching somebody play on the golf course, right? You you cut to the chase quicker. So if a player wants to improve, if you're not watching them play, how the hell can you help them improve? You know, it's the same. If I if I don't know what they you know, where they are personality-wise or where they are and, and the and the big five personality, by the way, is the most robust right over from from the time that you're young to the time that you become an adult and so on it's the one that is most robust to change right it doesn't it doesn't evolve that much right from from when we're certain there, there are others that change all the time right so they they just there's no robustness to them at all but if i know this information i can go i can guide them in in the direction much more streamlined you know it doesn't take it all this time to like figure things out so much
1: Stu, is it is this the, the stuff you did with um dr collins or is this your own creation or is this no, so
2: the pcdq is the stuff i did with dave collins yeah um that's that one so that's linked to the PCDEs. okay right so you basically have the seven factors that it measures and then you have the trainable PCDEs, right? So yeah. commitment, you know,
1: yeah, th- those so, kind of
2: things, right? Okay. The, the the Jordan Peterson one is just it's just off one of his websites. I think that you can just it's like 999 and and they fill in and you just get like a, a report basically, and it gives you a kind of an idea of where they are, like agreeableness on you know, all sorts of things.
1: It it, it definitely highlights an area for development, I think, for for me and, and Andrew and, and the team at, at core because, because we have big groups and we tend to split into um, either ability groups if they're going to compete against each other. Sometimes I, I, I've done enough reading on um, like cooperative learning so sometimes mm-hmm. we'll do mixed ability groups because I think it's very important that the younger kids see role models and that the older yep. kids, better players have the opportunity to be a role model. Yeah. Um, sometimes we'll split like, hey, these guys need to work on driver. These guys need to work on this. So let's separate them that way. And, and this all takes a lot of effort. But generally when we give a task, a performance task, we might manipulate challenge point based on ability, but not necessarily based on that person's uh, self-determination theory or ability to deal with adversity or something like that. So maybe this is something when the podcast finishes and, and you know, Stu, I have spoke to you about doing some training. Is this some, some area where you could do the training with the core coaches or is this Something where I would do um, Dave Collins' work and and implement it myself. Like, what are you?
2: Either way, I mean, you can do the questionnaire through me, like no problem, or you can go and do the training with Dave. To be honest, like, I mean, it's it's not it's nothing that you you just need to know for me what like what it actually means, right? And how to how to kind of move it through the um... because
1: and it wouldn't be applicable to all of our academy because no. a lot of them are under under 15 but I think again some of those more elite players we've got them on a stats program we go and watch them we design them practice programs based on stats and based on what we observe this could be a nice other layer that if we understand x or y about this individual we can tailor their their practice plans and, and things to be
2: uh even more specific so I and it, and it, and it might be something as simple as going Okay, you're you're low on, um, or you know, you're testing low on seeking and using social support, right? So what well, what can we do about that, right? So who 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 is close to you? How can you like? Are you are you keeping things bottled up too much? Like who who's your outlet, you know? And who are in your that that kind of like network that you're going to communicate to? I mean, it's it's so it's just so important, especially for young golfers. Yeah, absolutely. And, if you, and from, a cha- from a challenge point standpoint, the, Nicola Hodges has just, has just released a new paper on the, an adaption of the, the challenge point, which is a little bit more practical. It's very much linked to um, uh, Fabian Otte's stuff with regards to skill periodization brilliant brilliant paper really really easy to to read and she's at the university of ottawa or somewhere somewhere like that um it's definitely worth having a look at and and stuff because it just in, it just enables you to formalise like what you're doing um in a more what was the, what way. was the lady's name nicola hodges
1: am i gonna get see, for I... this on google am i gonna have to pay for this
2: let me see um I'm used to have a call with her at some point, so I'll see if we can get some freebies. You but, said it was
1: easy to read. That's the most attractive thing about this paper. Yeah, especially, them... <laughs> especially
2: academia, right? Some of them
1: get a little testing. Stu, let me before we move on to. I, I want to. I, I do want to spend some time digging into like behind the scenes on the PGA and the European Tour and and working with some of the best players in the world. Um, but before we do, what what are the players' responses to this when you take them through this? And then, is there a danger of self-fulfilling prophecies when you tell someone they don't use this or they don't utilize that or they're not good in this skill? Is that to, to sometimes, can they hide behind that? Can that fuel um, behaviors that, that push them in the opposite direction to what you would desire as a coach?
2: Sometimes, I, with some of them, I don't tell them. It's just the, uh, Okay. Um, Brilliant. So it's like uh, um can you do this? Can you do this for me? I get the information and then I can kind of guide basically. Got you. Some of them like some of them will go, well, what does that, what is that, what is that? And I go, okay, well, there's this, 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 and this. But with some of them, like you just I, I don't even say anything to them, you know. It's just it's just information that I would look at for me to make me more effective with what I do.
1: Makes sense. Um, so let's talk,
2: let's talk the highest level. Let's
1: talk Ryder Cup. Let's talk PGA Tour. Um, you know, um, if you want, name the players that you're working with, tell us what you're doing with them. Cause I think this podcast is awesome. Someone who's gone junior development performance director and now tour coach, you know, you're at the Ryder Cup, you're at the masters, right? You you, you basically last year was a fun. Last year was a fun year for you fair to say. Yeah. So tell us a bit about your work with with the elite players and how do they respond to some of these ideas that maybe aren't necessarily mainstream? Yeah,
2: I mean that they have a they have a fundamental drive to to improve, right? That's the one thing that they all have. And and that's score, right? So it's like that's that's the way it is. If you improve this score, you know, stroke average, whatever you want to term it as, strokes gained, whatever, that's that's really what drives them. And it and it's really about, you know, it's it's very small gains, right? So you're not, it's not like you're having to to reinvent the wheel with somebody. It's just the case of going. Okay, well, what what does this player want to do? Where are they right now? What what is stopping that from from potentially happening? And how can I help them from a from a behavioural standpoint, like a practice standpoint, to help them get get to where they want to get to? You know, I still think there's too much of a um, there's too much of a a mechanical. Um, Swing fix mentality at tour level. I still think that's that's the case. Um, I still think there's too many cliches and anecdotal things that float around that tour. You know, saying, "Oh yeah, I just need to groove this in." Well, what, what does that mean? You know, like, um, and sometimes it's just it's just saying, you know, is this is this true, right? Or is this the story that you're you're telling yourself? Or, you know, looking at the statistics and going, well, you're you're really, this is a superpower. This is an area where you can kind of like shift the dial on a little bit. Well, how can we implement that into practice? So you're, you know, you're challenging that and and so on and so forth. But it's just small things, right? Small things that could make a big, uh, a, a big change. And, yeah, it's stressful. I gotta say. <laughs> can, yeah. you, can you give us an example of something
1: that uh, one of your top players has implemented into their practice, or or that they do that you believe, or they believe, or statistics show has led to a big gain in performance?
2: Yeah, I would say um, I'd I say there's a kind of a couple of things really that like with a player recently is it's less about like we know we know statistically where they need to be where they need to pr- improve right where they're strong where they need to improve but actually it comes down to they're so creative and so much of an artist in what they do that i just need to give them a little bit of process right of if you do this right even like writing stuff on the glove or or what do this and that will take care of this because they already have the skill set to kind of do it they're just getting in a block right of of why they're not do, why they're not doing it um, so there's like interventions like there and in the moment interventions and so on and so forth then there's some kind of like more like long term interventions where players have had injuries and they've come back and they haven't really kind of had their form and so on and so forth. And you're kind of guarding against the injury. And then you go, well, we need to reduce the practice volume Mm. and increase the practice intensity. So like have every shot that you hit, you know, you go through your routine, it has a kind of a something you're striving towards and you hit the shot and you execute in, in how you want to execute. Um, that now over four years with the player has become very much very much behavioral with him he's very kind of you know he knows what he's doing with his practice he sets up certain tasks himself and i mean one of the one of the other things that we had a conversation while there are three tournaments left to qualify for the ryder cup it was a lifelong goal right so I was standing on the golf, on the putting green with him at our home club here, and I just said to him, I said, brother, just these last three tournaments, don't you dare fucking come back to me after this, these three tournaments and say you haven't just let it go, and you haven't let go of what you're trying to do. If you fucking do that, I'm going to be more annoyed than if you fucking absolutely let it go and you don't qualify, right? Because you just ha- there comes a moment in time, we you have to have the courage and the vulnerability to just fucking put it on the line, and you do it or you don't. You know that's yeah. there, there's no coaching manual for this. It's just the feeling that you get from from understanding like what they're going through and the that you know that the empathy that you have for them for what they're going through and how much they, how much they want this.
1: I I feel like from the outside looking in, he listened to that very well. If there's three <laughs> tournaments, that's 12 rounds, potentially, hopefully. I think he did it for 11. I don't know if he did yeah. it on
2: that 12th one
1: when I was watching him play. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, but, but, but you know what? Like, there's a different lesson in that right so the last the last round at Wentworth he said to me that's the worst I felt on the golf course ever like so nervous like all day like just but at Wentworth he still got it round in 72 right so yeah what what I I I read something or I listened to something recently and I thought this was absolutely fucking brilliant where there's a psychologist talking about like an Olympic athlete, right? And them, and them giving him like a, um, a ticket to go to the Olympics in Beijing. And on the back of the ticket, he writes down terms and conditions, right? Of going... You're gonna go through heartache, there's gonna be some psychological trauma, there's gonna be bad sleep, there's gonna be you know, feeling fucking terrible, all these things. These are the terms and conditions to high performance. Do you still want this ticket or not? Because if you fucking don't, you're in the wrong field. <laughs> yeah. Go and do some, go and do something else. Yeah. And that, and that is the same, right? If you wanna be that high-level performer you got to be able to deal with these things. It's part, of the, it's part of the deal.
0: Yeah. Stu, do you coach your players to kind of have that conversation with themselves if they ever get in like a pinch? Because you bring up the Olympics and there's an American snowboarder by the name of Sean White, who this is his, probably his last Olympics. And he was doing a qualifying run on the half pipe. And it was his last qualifying run. He needed a great score to actually get into the final. And he laid down one of his best runs that he's ever done and qualified. And, and on the news, he was talking about how he just said, you know what, this is my last go at it. I've got to just lay it down. I've got to give my best. So what do you have? Do, do you have your players ever kind of give themselves a, a, something they can say while they're out on the course? You know, in that in that twelfth round when they're trying to qualify for the Ryder Cup, or you know, they're they've got the thirty-six hole lead or fifty-four hole lead, and they're stepping on that first tee on Sunday.
2: I think the biggest thing that I try and implement in to everybody, whatever scenario they're in, is the ability, the level of acceptance, right? That you don't have this this control to what you think you have, right? And, and like I said, it's that, it's that ability to go, I ex- if I accept all outcomes here, there's this massive sort of like, oh, this moment of like, well, I'm just going to go for it, do my best and see what comes of it. Like what, there's nothing more that you can do, is there? And I think when these elite performers get into this space, they do things that are astronomically amazing. But yet... I'm not sure they know what they do to get themselves in, in that space. You know, it's like, I, you know, I've been speaking to like um, Pippa Grange a little bit about like surrender, right? And, and the word surrender to a Westerner, right, means like give up, right? But surrender to an Eastern philosophy means to give over to, right? So I give, I let go, I give over to this component of control, um, i give over to this level of overthinking right and i just allow myself to be that person right to be what i've trained and be what i'm what i'm striving to be with no judgment no fucking outcome no, nothing right it's just like just be in that moment of doing what you what you've trained to do why don't people do that more often ego right They're protecting something. And the more you start to unpack this shit, it's like, you know, we're unpacking some some unbelievable high-level performance improvement, but it's just a very strange thing because I'm not sure it's, it's tangible enough sometimes for people, you know, or there's not that awareness enough to know what this is yeah that's that's
1: yeah do you remember that book the rise of superman
2: yeah yeah that Stephen kotler yeah
1: the, the 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 and the flow genome project or whatever yeah they called it it's like you read that book and it's unbelievable but you're like okay how do i coach that <laughs> you
2: can't, it's, that's the thing right yeah. you can't if you can't induce flow it's not a performance indicator right you yeah. can't it's something that you pass through right and there are certain things that you can maybe do to to hope that you kind of get into it, but you can't induce it.
1: But I I feel like before we, the last couple of minutes, something that you said resonated with me about these guys on tour and having that moment, like you've got 12 rounds of golf, you've got to just let it go. You've got to surrender. It's not going to be comfortable, blah, blah, all of that stuff you said, it almost loops all the way back round to when you were at IJGA, and the first thing you did was you removed all the comfort from practice. So, yeah. like, it, it's—do you believe it starts there? That the the environment that you're exposed to, like, you know, you we read the, the the American that played really well for a while in the British Open was Ricky Fowler. Turns out he grew up on a range where there was a lot of wind, and he had to learn to hit it low. Right? So, there's an environmental factor there. Do you and, and and this might be me pushing what what I believe, but I believe the environments that you're exposed to as, as a child, um, and the environments you pass through as you grow in, they can manipulate and shape your brain and body ready for those moments. What 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 do you think, Stu?
2: Well, it, well here's the thing, right? If somebody turns around to you and says, I want to play a, a win a US Open or play a Ryder Cup or, or whatever, right? And that and they have this. If they haven't been through that stuff, they're not going to get there, right? Because all of a sudden, they're going to get to some point during their world, right, of their they're qualifying or wherever it might be, where the shit's going to hit the fan, right? It's going to be proper stressful. Things are not going to go exactly how they want them to go. And yet, you have to have somehow have the skills to be able to get through that, right? So if you haven't developed those behaviors, you haven't experienced these things. So let's say like in COVID, right? COVID time, me still traveling, you know, coming to the US, didn't really know what's going to happen, whether you test positive somewhere and whatnot. And you go, that is super stressful, right? Because you just don't know. Mm. But it's part of the environment that I choose that I want to be in. Yeah. Yeah. So I either kind of go, well, this is part of what I do and I need to learn to be able to, to deal with this or I don't do it.
1: Yeah, that's a good example.
2: Because if I don't do it or if I, t- t- you know, if I don't have these things to say, this is part of the package here. These, these are my terms and conditions, right? Yeah. If I want to be an elite coach, coaching at this level, these are the terms and conditions. And if I, if I don't want those terms and conditions, I don't do it, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So with
2: every every one of those juniors that you ha- that you have and whatnot, if they turn around to you and say, "This is what I want to do," and I'm I'm absolutely, it's like you know, it's like somebody, it's a mate of mine like pl- go and play in like fifty two caps of Wales, right, football, and I'm going driving down the road on Christmas Day, right, to go and stuff my face at my grandmother's house and whatnot. <laughs> and he's running you know he's out doing like sprints and like running up the street yeah why because it was part of his journey right yeah he he need he kind of felt like he, that's what he needed to do to be able to get 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 a little bit of a kind of a head start or whatever it might be would i recommend that to some people no i wouldn't but that was him that was yeah. him doing that
1: that was his terms and conditions right
2: yeah they're his terms and conditions yeah he wasn't the best footballer like in the world, but he gets to the pro, you know, pro clubs and, and, you know, he, he makes things work. That's
1: awesome. Stu, we'll, uh, before we wrap it up, actually, you got one story from the Ryder cup for us. Just a yeah. little, little insight behind closed doors.
2: Um, one, one of the coaches, right. Um, so, so the crowd was pretty raucous, right? It was like, as you know, from like being there.
1: Yeah, it was crazy. And
2: one of the coaches behind the 80s green, somebody was putting, and somebody's like started to cheer or shout in the backswing. So one of the coaches climbs up the bank, gets up to this guy by the crowd, and starts like pointing at him. He's got a sheriff or somebody with him, point, pointing at him, and nothing. And he goes, and he turns to him, and goes, "How old are you?" like to this, to this guy. He goes, oh, I'm 50 so-and-so. 50 so-and-so? Look at your mates. They're embarrassed by you. <laughs> <laughs> so so he's come back down the slope, right? Back down. And he couldn't leave it. He had to get back up the slope and have another go at it. <laughs> so like, oh, my God. And, th- and then it became a thing of like, h- how many people can you get thrown out for being like having like poor behavior
1: <laughs> did you you enjoyed the whole experience like you 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 managed to i guess follow your own advice and let go and follow your terms yeah, and conditions etc you enjoyed it
2: the the big thing for me was um it's sometimes understanding the history of the Ryder Cup is very very competitive right obviously but it's an exhibition game right it's a, it's a celebration in some ways between uh, between two tours and that to me was was absolutely highlighted when Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening comes we're in the team room at like nine thirty, and DJ comes in and Jordan Spieth comes in and you know Tony Fiena and all the American guys start to come in and it's just like the best atmosphere. There's no animosity there. There's nothing There's nothing. I was actually chatting to Pulse quite a bit, and because um, again, I known Pulse for a long time, and um, and just seeing how much it means to these people to these people to play on that team and to represent, but also the every like they're up, they're in battle. They're, they're, they're these warriors. They want to win and whatnot. But when it comes down to it at the end of it, they're all willing to go and have a beer with one another and, and that to me is like the ultimate high performance. Awesome. It's, it's just mega. That's awesome.
1: What What's next for you, Stu? You got anything cool lined up?
2: So, potentially, just waiting on schedules, probably, maybe a U, the US will be the next trip, maybe Bay Hill um, or players, maybe, and then after that, probably looking at uh, Valero, Texas. Before I'm not going to go to Augusta this year because it's just it's just a nightmare from a coaching standpoint. Like you can't get on the fairways and you can't walk, you know, with the player and whatnot during practice rounds. And that to me is just not that's not my environment. You know, I want to be in practice rounds up close with them and see what they're doing. You know,
1: I didn't know that. Was that COVID, though, or is that this year as well?
2: No, it's, it's always the same. You're allowed on the Sunday to walk the fairways, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, um, only players and caddies and, and officials are allowed to walk inside the ropes down the fairways. So, and the know. thing is, he's you so far away. Like, if you're walking down the side of 10 and they're down the left of 10, like, you can't even see the player. Like it's,
1: <laughs> So hopefully... You know, it's, Hopefully you can get to the, the U.S. Open and we can uh, we can connect. Maybe, I, I don't know,
2: because it's my daughter's birthday around that time. So I'm not sure whether that's going to be. Dude, I still, I still need my Ryder
1: yeah. Cup flag signing. <laughs> I still need my flag signing.
2: I got mine here, look. Oh, wow. There we go. There we go. You've
1: got to have that one behind you.
2: No, it's, it's pride of place. Normally I sit over on that part of the desk. And I look at it oh, just okay. as a reminder, like every day and whatnot. That's good.
1: That's good. Uh, Stu, do you want to tell the listeners where they can find you? Uh if they want to really know. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to promote your Instagram? We can get we can get you up at least three followers. <laughs> at least three followers.
2: Come on. Uh just Stuart M coaching on Instagram, if they want to follow. I put some stuff on there sometimes, but um,
1: good stuff. Yeah. It's good stuff when you post. Stu. Uh, thanks a lot. And uh, yeah, myself, thanks. myself, Andrew and the, and the core team will, will definitely connect and, and maybe delve into that, that question you discussed. Thanks mate. All right.
2: Cheers. Thanks for, sure.
0: thanks for tuning in to the core performance podcast, your one-stop shop for getting to the core of all things golf and human performance. Be sure to subscribe. So you never miss an episode. For more information or to connect with Ian and Andrew, check us out on Instagram at Core Academy. We'll see you next time.